Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. When you open your bulletin today, I hope you notice the insert. If you did not get a bulletin when you came into the room, it would be important that you do get one. So please know you have my permission, if you need it, to go get a bulletin because it has some important information related to the message today. And you'll be benefited more fully if you have that in hand. These are at the back of the room or out in the foyers of the, the room. Another thing I want to show you is that today we're going to encourage you to get a map journal. And the map journal comes in two forms. One is the cool form. This is the cool one. And by the way, the binding on this or the cover on it is an actual map of about... 1900 El Paso. It's pretty interesting. But the contents are the same, and we're encouraging you to get one of those in response to the morning message today. Why read the Bible? Well, let's see what the Bible says, why we should read it. Turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at one verse. It'll be a launch pad for discussion about things relative to our having a quiet time, as it's so commonly called, which is a time that's devoted during the day to fellowshipping with God. In Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 4, listen to what the Word of God says. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Okay, let me pause right there. The Bible says the purpose of reading the Bible is to get instruction from the Lord. Someone has rather cleverly taken the word Bible and made an acronym out of it, and this is what they have said in the acronym. Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's a good description of the Bible. It's not comprehensive, but it covers a lot of territory, doesn't it? So if we want to learn about who God is and about what God has in mind for us to do, we have to read it in the Word of God. And by the way, the Word of God is a perfect book. That's its own testimony. But when you compare the manuscripts of the Old Testament, as we call it, and the New Testament, and compare other documents from antiquity, hands down, hundreds of times more reliable than any other document that historians, I'm talking about Ivy League historians and historians from the continent of Europe and all over the world appeal to for understanding the history of the world. They never call into question the validity of those documents. But what we do know is in the Bible we have an incredibly impeccable word from God. And so we get instructions from the Lord. We're wise if we listen to what He says to us in the Word. 
Look at Romans 15, 4 again. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. Remember, when Paul writes these words, Paul is not elevating his writings to the level of Scripture. He's talking about what we know as the Old Testament. So all that is need, needed to be instructed, this is what the Word of God says, if we only had the Old Testament, we'd have plenty of instruction about who God is and how God wants us to live our lives. But aren't you glad we have the New Testament? I love both Testaments. And I love the New Testament. We're reading from the New Testament today. We're going to be visiting the Old Testament more today than we are the New. But remember, it's all God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's what Paul writes to Timothy in the third chapter. And by the way, when he wrote that, what's he talking about when he says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, rebuking correcting, and training in righteousness? He's talking about the Word of God in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is a repository of truth and instruction for us. We always interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. But we are not doing ourselves a favor if all we do is study the New Testament. So whatever was written in earlier times, what would that be? What we call the Old Testament, right? All Scripture, whatever is written in earlier times, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, the Old Testament is filled with encouragement. We're going to see some of that today when we look at the writings of David in particular and the encouragement we receive from, by, from God's Word by the Holy Spirit is just phenomenal in terms of its possibilities. Remember when Jesus appeared to two of his disciples. Only one of them is named. The person's name, Cleopas, a male. And then there's an unnamed disciple. Some people would say that probably was a woman disciple, not an apostle, but a disciple. But it's beside the point. Both of them were disciples. And when he intersected their lives, they didn't recognize him. They had known him. But remember, he is in a resurrected body. It's the first day of a new era. Christ has been raised from the dead. And he inquires about why they're so sad. And they say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who has not heard what has taken place? Wow, don't you know they regretted they said that after they had Christ reveal himself to them. Jesus didn't scold them, though. He spent time with them. They had what we would call fellowship together. And then the Bible says that in the book of Luke 24, it says, beginning with Moses, that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then going on into the Psalms. Wow. And then on into the prophets. He began to show them the references to himself and probably in light of the resurrection being the major emphasis, and all of a sudden, they recognized Him. And the Bible says, after they recognized Him, what happened? He disappeared. Just like He had appeared, He left. 
And listen to what they said. I love this. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was explaining the scriptures to us? What a teacher, Jesus. He is the master teacher. Have your, has your heart ever burned within you when you read the Word of God? And it's something that is accessible to us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get encouragement from the Word, don't we? We get instruction from God's Word. That's one reason why we read the Bible. But we also get encouragement from the Word. You need instruction today? You need not go any further than the Word of God. Do you need encouragement today? Go to the Scripture. And God will use it to give you encouragement. I doubt that there's over 20% of the people present this morning who came here without a need to be encouraged. The Bible is that tool which the Holy Spirit uses to encourage us in addition to instructing us. Well, that looks like on the surface of Romans 4, 15, 4, that that's it. Two, two purposes, instruct and encourage. But there is another lodged in this verse. The word scripture, remember, scripture, that's God's word. It's also, scripture is also a means to develop intimacy with the Lord. And I may be wrong, I don't think I am, because I believe you can read the Bible for information slash instruction and never enter into any significant relationship with Jesus Christ. I also believe that you can be encouraged by verses like, I can do everything through Him who strengthens me in Philippians 4.19. Or in the book of Romans chapter 8, which says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. These are powerful things, aren't they? And we get encouragement, but still not really have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Christ wants that for us. If we were to go to Exodus 9, verse 16, it's part of a message that God is sending through Moses to Pharaoh to let him know what's going on as far as the plagues are concerned, which eventually are going to be the lever that sets those people free from over 400 years of slavery. And this is what the scripture says there in 916. I'm putting it in my own words now. It says, God speaking, and the Bible says in 916, and then before, when you go to when the Lord begins to give that message, this is what we hear the Lord tell Moses. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. And one of the things he says is, I rose you up in power. I elevated you to show who I am to the people of Egypt. If we go to Romans in the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 17, it's interesting, Exodus 9, 16, and Romans 9, 17 say the same thing. It's a quotation by Paul from Romans uh, in Romans from Exodus 9, 16. But in introducing it, remember what 
Moses is told, this is the word of God that God has given to him, and it was. But when Paul writes it, he calls the word of God, the voice of God, scripture. So the Bible is scripture, Old and New Testament. And he says the same thing. So what we know is that God is talking to us through scripture. He was speaking to Pharaoh through scripture. He was speaking to the Roman church through scripture. And he has continued to do that throughout history. We can have that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and have him teach us. This is what is commonly called reading the Bible for quiet time. It's right to read the Bible for instruction. Don't make a mistake about that. And for encouragement, you're on solid ground there. But if we don't learn to read the Word of God to develop our relationship with God, then we miss the very heart of our relationship with Christ. So with that having been said, this morning I'm going to explore with you why it is important to have what is commonly called a quiet time. In your bulletin, when you open it up, you'll notice the insert on one side, it says how to have a quiet time. On the other side, it talks about abiding in Christ. And it looks like uh, something that could help you maybe, and I'll tell you how it might help you. When we begin to have regular quiet times, and I'm just, this is a suggestion. It's not the only thing that you can do, but it's tried and true in my life and so many others, is when we read the Word with a mind to hear the Lord and for a desire to have intimacy with Christ, the result is He speaks to us. And sometimes as we read, we receive something from that day's reading that is applicable to our lives. Has that happened to you before? It's exciting, isn't it? When you begin to read the Bible, not just for information or instruction, not just for encouragement, although those things are important, but you read the Bible to get to know Him better. Why is that important? Why is it important to know the Lord better? Well, because of what Jesus says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is Jesus talking to God the Father. If we're to know God, how important would that be? Extremely important. Supremely important. Same with Jesus, because He is not simply the Son of God. He is God become man in order to identify with us and make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. He is the way to God. There is no other way to God, the Bible teaches us very clearly. And when asked, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us, Jesus responded to the question that was raised by Philip with these words, have I been so long with you and you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen God the Father. So what we know is that the Scripture is given to us so we can know God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 
5, verse 39. He's in a debate with the people who are the religious leaders and they didn't like him at all. And they say, they're questioning him about the Scripture and he said, you search the Scripture because you believe that in them you have eternal life and you are right because they bear witness of me. The Old Testament Scriptures we've already seen in that conversation that Jesus had with the two pilgrims, disciples on the road back to their hometown of Emmaus, downtrodden, disheartened by the death of Christ and for all they knew, He had not raised from the dead. But what we do know is that God uses Scripture. Jesus used Scripture to reveal Himself and themselves to us. So what is the purpose of having a time alone with the Lord. Well, the purpose is to know God. That's it. That's the whole theme of the Bible. That we have the capacity, we as finite beings, have the capacity to have a relationship with an infinite God. That sounds absurd, doesn't it, to point. But we know better, those of us who know the Lord. It's not a figment of our imaginations. It's a fact that when we submitted ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus and we confessed to Him that apart from Him, we were lost. And He responded, wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles. He responded and He revealed Himself to us. We got to know Him. I was caused to want to look at the words in the Bible which from the original language translate into the word know or associated words in the New Testament. There are three primary words. The word which is in John 17, 3, where Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and me, whom you have sent. That word is a word which means comes to know. In other words, it's a process of coming to know someone. And it speaks of a relationship, obviously, coming to know someone in a relationship. And not some sort of casual relationship, but a relationship that is one of intimacy. There's another word, not in the same word family of the first word. And this word is a word which means to know fully. It's possible and it's desirable and it's also intended by God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son that we know them fully. The good news is we have eternity to get to know them. And we need to get a head start on eternity now. I guarantee you, you and I would be better off if we were interacting with things eternal more than things temporal. With regard to things temporal in our world, they offer virtually nothing but discouragement. Am I right? They offer n no hope, no peace, no joy, but we know the Scripture is quite different. It's a repository of all those things and so many more. Words are not able to describe all the things that we have in God through Christ and in the Scripture. But what we do know is that we are called to know God. There's one other word in the New Testament that's translated know. 
and it's a word which is akin to the first word. It's just got a preposition attached to it. It's like a compound word. The Greek language has compound words just like ours. Makes sense. It came before ours, and a lot of the words in our language are derived finally from the words of Greek language. And this word means to know fully, just like the other word I mentioned, but it carries with it again the idea of coming into a relationship that keeps on budding and keeps on growing. This is the purpose for us having time alone with God. When you think of David, you probably think of many things, both positive and negative. But there is a profound statement that is made about David by different writers in the Old Testament and even the New Testament. He is described as a man after God's own heart. If I were asked by someone after what I've said so far, what would intimacy look like with God? I would say it would be coming a woman or a man after God's heart like David. So the rest of the morning, what we're going to be looking at, with a few minor exceptions, will be things which he wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He was in collaboration, probably without knowing it, but nevertheless, God used him. God the Holy Spirit used him for this. And it's all about coming to know the Lord. When David stepped down from being king of Israel, he coronated, as it were, his son Solomon. And when he was introducing him to all the leaders of Israel, there were political leaders present. There were religious leaders present. There were social leaders and there were economic leaders and you would imagine that he would, in a speech to his son in front of all these people, talk about all those matters, military matters. But listen to what he said. He simply said, listen, know the God of your father. That's it. Know the God of your father. The most important thing he could say to his son, and this is coming from David, remember, a man after God's own heart, is to know God. Do you know the most important thing that you and I can know in this life is knowing God? And God reveals Himself to us through Jesus, definitely, but through the Scriptures. And we can have an intimate relationship with God through the Word of God. It's accessible to you and me. Not because there's anything unique about us. It's because the One who indwells us is unique. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And He wrote the Scripture. And He interprets the Scripture to us. He helps us to understand the Scripture. Well, let's move on to the second thing about this whole matter of our having an effective time of intimacy on a regular basis with Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. It should be the priority of our lives. Why do I say that? Well, I'll appeal to David. Psalm 63, 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. 
early I will seek you. Some translations translate it earnestly, and the word in Hebrew can mean both of those things, but I, for this moment at least, want to emphasize the part early will I seek you. That suggests putting a priority on my spending time with the Lord, seeking the Lord. We read from Psalm 5 earlier, verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, O Lord, I prepare a sacrifice for you in the morning and I watch. David sounds like a broken record, doesn't he? Well, we could say the Holy Spirit sounds at times like a broken record. Forgive us, Lord, for having such an attitude. Thank you, knowing that we need to hear things all over and over and over again before they sink in. We need that, don't we? I do, at least, and I would imagine most of you would say the same thing. I don't know about you, but I always make time for what's important to me. Me time. I don't call it that, but I'm on record here. I'm, I'm exposing myself here today. I like my me time, do y'all? And part of my meantime, me time rather, for this week is tomorrow night between 6 and 9 o'clock, I'm going to watch the Cowboys beat the Buccaneers. <laughs> and I'll be stoned by this time next week if they don't, because it would be a false prophecy, right? But I want to see the Cowboys play. I don't care if they're 1 in 16, I want to see them play, right? Because I care about them. I like them. Our time along with the Lord, a quiet time, is a commendable practice. It's to us what a deep sea diver's air hose is to him or her. It's our lifeline. The Bible describes itself as being word of life. Jesus was asking his apostles because there was quite a disbanding of so-called disciples because of the hard teaching Jesus was giving to them. This is found in John chapter 6. And he looked at them and he said, are y'all going to leave too? And then Peter, never at a loss for words, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. By implication, you're the only one. And Peter was right at that point. So we need to depend on the Lord the Bible says in Psalm 84.10, this is not a psalm of David, it's one of Asaph's psalms. It says, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. Think about that ratio. A thousand to one. My spending one day or a portion of a day in relating to the Lord Jesus Christ is a thousand times better than spending my time doing anything else. Would it surprise you to know <clears throat> that Christ wants your fellowship one-on-one? -on -one? That's the way He operates. One-on-one. -on -one. He wants that with you. And He wants you to meet Him. And be enriched by His person and by His teaching you as you meet with Him in an intimate setting. So it's the priority of our lives. 
Everything else is secondary in my life to spending time alone, listening to God, meeting with Jesus. Well, what about the place? <clears throat> Can you have a quiet time anywhere? Well, some places are better than others, aren't there? They, they are. And sometimes it's hard to have a quiet time. There's so much noise and stuff going on. But I would say probably with the help of God, just about any place could be a place you could have relationship with Him. But when we look at the life of Jesus, He's our mentor, He's our example that we're to follow, and He lives in us, and it would make sense He would lead us in this direction. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, after an incredibly busy day of ministry, exhausting, a depleting day for Jesus. After all, Jesus got tired. Did you know Jesus got tired? He got worn out because He was a human being. He still is a human being. He didn't cease being human when He was raised from the dead. He has a glorified body. But what we do know is in Mark 1.35, over a day, after a day rather, when He had cast out many demons, He'd healed many people, He'd preached the gospel, He had cured people of other diseases, He was exhausted. He fell asleep. He, the Bible says the next day, early in the morning, he arose before dawn and there was still only darkness in the sky. He went away, away to a lonely place to spend time with the Father. Why? Because he needed reviving in his own soul. He didn't cease being God, he had not sinned. But you may recall an instance, and there are perhaps others, in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is just ganged. People are all around Him, and His apostles are forming evidently like a shield around Him so He doesn't get crushed by the crowd. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this large crowd, He says, Who touched me? And one of the apostles says, Master, look at all the people around you. How can we tell you who touched you? He said, someone touched me. And the reason I know that is power left me. I sensed it. So Jesus was depleted of power. And it was due to a woman who had been plagued by an issue of blood for over 10 years. And that made her a person non grata. Persona non grata. Because she couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't interact with her family members. To touch her would be to be one who was contaminated because of the constant flow of blood. And she had spent money, money, money to get doctor's help and they couldn't help her. And then finally she touched the garment of Jesus. Boom. The flow of blood stopped. Jesus had a conversation with her. But Jesus needed to be revived. We read out of Psalm 19. Listen, remember what Jesus read just a little while ago? The seventh verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If you look down at the last part of verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Reviving the soul. We need it. Jesus even needed it. He didn't need the enlightening of His eyes. We need that. And what 
are the gateways through which we pass to have that happen to our souls being revived or our eyes spiritually being opened. The law of the Lord, Torah, that means teaching in its most basic meaning in the Hebrew language. The commandment of the Lord, that's the commandments, but all the Ten Commandments plus others. So God has given them to us so we can have our minds opened. Praise God for that. So we are to have that as our priority. The place is one of aloneness where there are few distractions. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, he says, don't be like the Pharisees who love to practice their righteousness before people to be recognized by them. Rather, when it comes to praying like they do, they stand on street corners and just pray. What I want you to do is go to your personal room. Closet is the way the King James translates it, but it's really it's a room and speaks of a small room. We don't know how small, but a room of privacy. <clears throat> and there, pray. And so what that would suggest to us is that we commonly have a place we can go and not disturb anybody else and not be disturbed by anyone else. Do you have a place like that in your life where you can go and you can calm your soul down and have a, a great place to worship the Lord personally on a regular basis? Now, I don't know about you. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. The earlier group, which is made up of older people as a rule than this group, quite a bit older, I, I thought I might get a hand come up in answer to this question. I said, how many of you here do not have a smartphone? You know, nobody raised their hand. One guy did, and I said, okay, we got one old timer here. It's Elia. But no, he said, I misunderstood. <laughs> so, anyway, I know all of you have a cell phone, unless your child and your parents wisely have not letting you ha let you have your own phone yet. But I want to ask you this question. When you lie down at night to go to sleep, I'm, I'm being transparent here. I have my phone right by my bedstand. And it's the only phone I own. And so if something happens that I need to know, this is of an emergency nature, or I have to get help, it's there. But what I find myself doing in the morning, and I, I, I mean, think about it, the first thing I do, no matter what time it is when I wake up, I reach for my phone. Anybody here besides me do that? You don't have to raise your hand. And it's not necessarily sinful to do that, but it can become sinful to me because of what I expose myself to. I think about what David, not David, but the psalmist in 119 says, he says, incline my heart to your testimony and not to bad things. Don't set any worthless thing before your eyes. And I'm not just talking about things that would be lurid. I'm not talking about that, but... I want to read. I'm just going to look at one thing. Lord, I'm going to look at the top one, and then I'm going to have my quiet time. Before I know it, I've spent 30 minutes, and my mind is full of other things than 
they ought, it ought to be full of. And some things are kind of neutral, but they're worthless in the long run in my life. So, put your phone away somewhere where you can't even find it. I do that every day or two, actually. Not on purpose, it just happens. <laughs> How long should your quiet time be? Well, here's a nebulous answer to a specific question. You can expect it from a preacher. Have enough time to forget time. In other words, don't schedule your time alone with the Lord so tightly that if you need to spend more time with Him, you don't have something you've promised to do or a place you promised to be that would press you right out of your time alone with the Lord and cheat you and Him of the fellowship that you would have had with Him. Remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness wandering and they were hungry, a ton of people to feed. God fed them miraculously with a thing called manna. The word manna in Hebrew means what is it? They'd never seen it before. And when would the food come? In the morning it would come. And how much was each one given? One would think, because God is fair, that He would give the same amount to everybody. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that He gave to each one as much as that person needed. And like us, if we were to take this section and everybody in this section were asked the question, how much do you eat every day by calorie? And you knew what that was. There'd be different numbers, wouldn't there, in a group like this. The reality is, I cannot say you should spend 30 minutes with the Lord or an hour remembering that any time with Him surpasses any time I would spend or you would spend in some other endeavor because we're having that time of intimacy with our Lord. When we meet with God in private session, we gain eternity we don't lose time. I've seen this over and over again in my life. When I was reasoning before I went to bed the night before or the morning when I awoke, Lord, You know my schedule. I just don't have as much time today. Would You please excuse me today because I'm going to be doing Your work, Lord. Big deal, Mike. You're not the one who gets the work done. I'll get it done one way or another through somebody who is intimate with me is what the Lord would say. There's a painting in Spain in a gallery and it's a painting of a peon, as it were, a, fa a farmer's hard hand and this man is plowing with a yoke of oxen. And what you see, and it's easy to interpret what's happened, the man gets halfway through the field and all of a sudden, when you see the picture, this man is on his knees with his head, head bowed and his arms stretched to heaven. In the background, there's a picture of a church building with a spire on it. And it's implied that 
there is a call to prayer that this man is responding to. And the rest of the artist's conception of that experience is that an angel comes down and has taken the reins of that yoke of oxen and has continued the plowing. And the title that the artist gave for this piece of art, No Time Lost. When you and I spend time alone with the Lord, it's gained, not lost. And it gives us what we need to live the life of a follower of Jesus. Let me talk about the helps. Obviously, a Bible. I'm not telling you anything new this morning, probably many of you. A Bible. There are lots of options for Bibles, aren't there? I'm going to make a suggestion, and you don't have to do what I ask you to do anyway, but here it is. I would say if I had one Bible to read in my quiet time, only one, and fortunately I don't have just one, I would read the English Standard Version. And here's why. It is a translation from the original languages into English word for word. The ideas are not the only thing that the interpreters who translated it had in mind. They wanted to leave nothing out. No translation of the Bible is perfect. And let me say why. Here's why. It's because many of you are bilingual at least. And you know, when you go from your mother tongue to another tongue, something is lost in translation, usually, a little bit. But we have the Holy Spirit superintending the work of those who translated the English Standard Version. It's readable, thank God. We can understand it. But in addition to that, it's accurate to the original documents. And so that's what you want when you read a paraphrase is not as good as a translation because you get the Word of God more fully when you use the English Standard Version, also the New American Standard Version. It's a little harder to read. Don't make it any harder on yourself than you have to. You want to hear from the Lord, don't you? And I would say do that. Also, I would say take advantage of this map journal, and I'm not going to go into all the details of explaining it. Some of you have used it, and some of you have decided not to continue to use it, so that's your prerogative. But if you've never used a journal like this, there's a reading schedule. And there are readings, two each day from the Old Testament and two from the New. And I can hear somebody in your mind saying, wait, Pastor, I've never read through the Bible. I, you're asking me to read the whole thing this year? Well, I would say you would not lose anything if you do. But I would say if it's your first time to read consecutively, I would say to pick the two New Testament lines, and they're easy to follow, and read them. And if you really are new, just take the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you will read that with what I'm going to share with you in mind, that's building your relationship with the Lord, you will grow spiritually. And after the service is over, 
I'll be back at the back desk and we'll be giving people who really want to do this copies as long as they last and we'll order more if we run out for you. Okay, what is the procedure? This is, we're getting down to brass tacks here. Here is the first thing we're to do. We are to be watchful. What do I mean by that? In Ecclesiastes 5, and this is in your insert, by the way, these verses that I'm mentioning, most of them at least. In, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. We have to guard ourselves on the place, on the way to the place of worship, even from your bedroom to your closet somewhere or another part of the house where you know you're not going to be a distraction or be distracted. Well, what we want to do is understand we need to guard our steps. Don't pick the phone up and look at it before you look at the Word of God because you'll get distracted. Guard your step. And being watchful also carries with the idea of being attentive. Notice what God's Word says there. Draw near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. And what that would be is jabber, 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 jabber. Just talk, 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 talk to the Lord. And you could say, well, I'm praying to God and you may really be praying. But first thing we need to do is listen. I hope you know that prayer is a dialogue. Did you know that? First we hear from God. He speaks to us and we speak back. He tells us to do something. We say, yes, Lord. Or He asks us a question. We answer it based on what we have learned about His will for our lives. Be watchful. The Bible would also indicate to us that we're to be grateful. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. When you come into the presence of the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise Him. Thank Him. And praising is the idea of being respectful. Be grateful for the Lord. In everything give thanks, the Bible says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Here's another thing. Be humble. I probably should have put this right after being watchful or careful. Be humble. Was David humble? In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's humility, isn't it? And then in Psalm 143, 12, he says, I am your servant. He was not mistaken about who he was. He was the king of Israel, but he was the servant of the living God. Be teachable. David prays to God in the 86th Psalm, the 11th verse, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Wow. And God answers in Psalm 32, 8. He says, I will instruct you and I will teach you, David, in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God wants us to learn who He is and what He wants for us. And the good news is, He gives us that information when we spend time alone with Him in humility and with a teachable heart. 
Are you watchful when you approach the Lord? Are you grateful, humble, respectful, teachable? Here's the last thing I'm going to mention about this. Don't be in a hurry. Don't rush in. And here's what I have a tendency to do. I'm less likely to rush in than I am to rush out. I've got work to do, right? You do too. I've got things to do. Don't rush out either. In Ecclesiastes 8.3, speaking about the relationship between a subject to an earthly king, this is what Solomon says. What great wise man. He said to those who read that part of the Ecclesiastes, he says to them, don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of the king. So here again, I go back to where I started. Don't hem yourself in when it comes to your time alone. Give ample time. Some days you won't need more than 15 minutes or 20 minutes and you still have 30 or 40 left. Well, thank God. But some days you'll need the whole time that you set aside, whatever that may be for you. You know the name Elijah. He's one of the two people in history who did not die. And Elijah is told by God, he lived in intimacy with God, and Jehovah God said to him, go hide yourself. And he had reason to because the king of Israel was a mean man. And so was his wife. And they were out to get him. Go hide yourself. Then there came a time when God said, go show yourself. In the next chapter, 1 Kings 17, hide yourself from Ahab, the wicked king, and his wife, Jezebel. In chapter 18, go show yourself to them. We get along with the Lord. Now listen carefully. He wants time with us to pour into us and to prepare us, to encourage us. He wants that time with us. But He does not want us to just stay in a quiet time environment all the time. He wants us to take what He's taught and share it with others. We might not even know who that's going to be in a given day, but we go ahead and we do that. We're like David in that. I heard about a great teacher of the Bible and after he had taught to a group who had never heard him teach, people were just dumbfounded. And one came up to him and said to him, he was wanting to know, sir, where did you get your education? And he said, at Mary's College. And the man looked at him rather puzzledly and said, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Where is Mary's College located? He said in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's a story when Jesus was invited to meal at the home of Martha, and Martha's little sister should have been out in the kitchen helping her, so Martha thought, but where was she? Seated at the feet of Jesus. And what was she doing? Was she jabbering? She was listening to Jesus, not saying a word, listening to Him. Martha finally had all she could take. She came out of the kitchen and scolded Jesus. Why don't you tell my little sister to get in here and help? I've got all your men to feed. I'm reading between the lines a bit there. 
But Jesus says very sympathetically, He didn't scold her like she scolded Him. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about many things. And by the way, the word translated things in the English text is the word ministries. She was ministering to Jesus, wasn't she? And His guys. Yes, she was. Is that something that's worthwhile? Yes, but not as worthwhile as what Mary was doing. Because Jesus goes on to say, she has found that which will never be taken away from her. What that would say to you and me is clear. When we sit listening to Christ, and we have access to His words in the Scripture, we are doing that which will never be taken away from us. Jesus says the same thing in the 24th chapter of Matthew and in 13 of Mark. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Do you think it would be significant for you or me to spend time every day at the feet of Jesus listening? He will give you a view of Himself that will encourage you and will empower you to be all that you were created to be in Christ Jesus, your Lord. And your life, when it ends in this world, will be a seamless transition into eternal life. I'm going to close rather quickly with telling about one of the greatest men in history after the New Testament finished. His name was George Mueller. Mr. Mueller was used to save the lives of literally tens of thousands of orphans in England, in the poor sections of England. And what he did is he never asked anybody for money, never once. And the people whom he took in, remember thousands when it was all said and done, never went without food. Story after story. He said early in his ministry, he would begin by praying. That's the first thing he would do. He'd get on his knees before breakfast and he would allot an hour just to pray. And he said he would usually take close to half an hour before he really believed he was getting through in praying. And all of a sudden he had this suggestion that came to his mind. Didn't know if it was from the Lord or not. But he was going to follow what he thought might be the Lord's speaking to him. And he said, he got his, the way he described it, first of all, I got my soul happy in the Lord. How did he do it? He read the Word of God. He listened for the voice of God. And his soul was revived. He was built up. And he said, before he knew it, he was confessing sin when he read the Bible because the Bible revealed to him areas that he needed to do differently. He said he was thanking God and he was praising God, thanking Him for His forgiveness, praising Him for what He was doing. And he was petitioning God, interceding for other people. And he said it was beautiful. And he said for the last 50 years of his life, this man was used mightily and that's what he would do. He had his time alone listening to the Lord. I don't know if there will ever be another George Mueller, but that's beside the point. God says, I know the plans I have for you. You, you, you. Put your name there. 
I know the plans I have for Mike Woods. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give him a future and a hope. And that's not about me. It's about eternity. And it's not about you. It's about heaven for you. Let's pray together. If you would say to the Lord today, quietly, as I pray my own prayer of commitment, make it yours if this would fit you. Oh Lord, thank you for the beginning of a new year. And thank you that you've given us the Bible for instruction and encouragement. I need both, Lord. But more so for intimacy to know you more. I pray, Lord, that you would not let me get distracted by my phone or my work or anything else. Please guard the time that you would have for me. Just be with them especially, Lord. Help them to find time to spend with you in a creative way, but edifying ways. Thank you for all of us here today, Lord, who know you. Help us to continue to grow in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.